Chapter Eleven of Fantomas by Marcel Alain and Pierre Souvestre. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winterout. Fantomas by Marcel Alain and Pierre Souvestre, translated by Cranston Metcalf. Chapter Eleven, Magistrate and Detective. Monsieur Fuselier was standing in his office in the law courts at Paris, meditatively smoothing the nap of his silk hat. His mind was busy with the inquiries he had been prosecuting during the day, and although he had no reason to be dissatisfied with his day's work, he had no clear idea as to what his next steps ought to be. Three discreet taps on the door broke in upon his thoughts. "'Come in,' he said, and then stepped forward with a hearty welcome as he recognized his visitor. "'Juve, by all that is wonderful, what good wind has blown you here?' I haven't seen you for ages. Busy? Frightfully. Well, it's a fact that there's no dearth of sensational crimes just now. The calendar is terribly heavy. Juve had ensconced himself in a huge easy chair in a corner of the room. Yes, he said, you are quite right. But unfortunately, the calendar won't be a brilliant one for the police. There may be lots of cases, but there are not lots that they have worked out to a finish. "'You've got nothing to grumble at,' Monsieur Fuselier smiled. "'You have been in enough cases lately that were worked out to a finish. "'Your reputation isn't in any danger of diminishing.' "'I don't know what you mean,' Juve said deprecatingly. "'If you refer to the Beltham and Lagrune cases, "'you must admit that your congratulations are not deserved. "'I have achieved no definite result in either of those affairs.' Monsieur Fuselier also dropped into a comfortable chair. He lighted a cigarette. You have found out nothing fresh about that mysterious murder of Lord Beltham? Nothing. I'm done. It is an insoluble mystery to me. You seem to be very sorry for yourself, but really you needn't be, Juve. You cleared up the Beltham case, and you solved the Lagrune case, although you try to make out you didn't. And allow me to inform you, those two successes count, my friend. You are very kind, but you are rather misinformed. Unfortunately, I have not cleared up the Meltham case at all. You found the missing peer. Well, yes, but... That was an amazing achievement. By the way, Juve, what led you to the Rue Levert to search Gurn's trunks? That was very simple. You remember what an excitement there was when Lord Beltham disappeared? Well, when I was called in, I saw at once that all ideas of accident or suicide might be dismissed and that consequently the disappearance was due to crime. Once convinced of that, I very naturally suspected every single person who had ever had relations with Lord Beltham, for there was no single individual for me to suspect. Then I found out that the ex-ambassador had been in continuous association with an Englishman named Gurn, whom he had known in the South African War, and who led a very queer sort of life. That, of course, took me to Gurn's place, if for nothing else than to pick up information. And, well, that's all about it. It was just by going to Gurn's place to pump him, rather than anything else, that I found the noble lord's remains locked away in the trunk. Your modesty is delightful, Juve, said Monsieur Fuselier with an improving nod. You present things as if they were all matters of course, whereas really you are proving your extraordinary instinct. If you had arrived only twenty-four hours later, the corpse would have been packed off to the Transvaal, and only the Lord knows if after that the extraordinary mystery ever would have been cleared up. Luck, 
Juve protested. Pure luck. And were your other remarkable discoveries luck too? inquired Monsieur Fusilier with a smile. There was your discovery that sulfate of zinc had been injected into the body to prevent it from smelling offensively? That was only a matter of using my eyes, Juve protested. All right, said the magistrate. We will admit that you did not display any remarkable acumen in the Beltham case, if you would rather have it so. That does not alter the fact that you have solved the Lagrun case. Solved it? Monsieur Fusilier flicked the ash off his cigarette and leant forward toward the detective. Of course you know that I know you were at the Cahors Assizes, Juve. What was your impression of the whole affair, of the verdict, and of Etienne Rambert's guilt or innocence? Juve got up and began to walk up and down the room, followed by the magistrate's eyes. He seemed to be hesitating as to whether he would answer at all, but finally he stopped abruptly and faced his friend. If I were talking to anybody but you, Monsieur Fusilier, I would not answer at all, or I would give an answer that was no answer. But as it is, well, in my opinion, the Lagrun case is only just beginning, and nothing certain is known at all. According to that, Charles Rambert is innocent? I don't say that. What then? I suppose you don't think the father was the murderer? The hypothesis is not absurd. But there, what is the real truth of the whole affair? That is what I am wondering all the time. That murder is never out of my head. It interests me more and more every day. Oh, yes, I've got lots of ideas, but they are all utterly vague and improbable. Sometimes my imagination seems to be running away with me. He stopped, and Monsieur Fusilier wagged a mocking finger at him. Juve, he said, I charge you formally with attempting to implicate Fantomas in the murder of the Marquise de Langrune. The detective replied in the same tone of raillery, Guilty, my lord. Good lord, man, the magistrate exclaimed. Fantomas is a perfect obsession with you. And as Juve acquiesced with a laugh, the magistrate dropped his bantering tone. Shall I tell you something, Juve? I too am beginning to have an obsession for that fantastic miscreant. And what I want to know is why you have not come to me before to ask me about that sensational robbery at the Royal Palace Hotel. The robbery from Princess Sonia Danidoff? Yes, the Fantomas robbery. Fantomas, eh? Juve protested. That remains to be seen. Why, man? Monsieur Fuselier retorted. You have heard that detail about the card the man left, haven't you? The visiting card that was blank when the princess found it, and on which the name of Fantomas afterwards became visible? There's no Fantomas about that, in my opinion. Why not? Well, it isn't one of Fantomas's little ways to leave clear traces behind him. One might as well picture him committing robbery or murder in a cap with a neat little band round it, Fantomas and Company. He might even add, discretion and dispatch. No, it's most unlikely. You don't think Fantomas capable of throwing down his glove to the police in the shape of some such material proof of his identity? I always base my arguments on the balance of probabilities, Juve replied. What emerges from this royal palace story is that some common hotel thief conceived the ingenious idea of casting suspicion on Fantomas. It was just a trick to mislead the police. At least, that is my opinion. But Monsieur Fusilier declined to be convinced. No, you are wrong, Juve. It was no common hotel thief 
who stole Madame van der Rosen's necklace and Princess Sonia's 120,000 francs. The prize was big enough to appeal to Fantomas, and the amazing audacity of the crime is suggestive, too. Just think what coolness the man must have had to be able to paralyze the princess's power of resistance when she tried to call for help, and also to get clear away in spite of the hosts of servants in the hotel and all the precautions taken. "'Tell me all about the robbery, Monsieur Fuselier,' said Juve. The magistrate sat down at his desk and took up the notes he had made in the course of his official inquiry that day. He told Juve everything he had been able to elicit. "'The most amazing thing to me,' he said in conclusion, "'is the way the fellow, when he had once got out of Princess Sonia's room, "'contrived to get into the lift, shed his evening dress, get into livery, "'and make his first attempt to escape. "'When the hall porter stopped him, he did not lose his head, "'but got into the lift again, sent that flying up to the top of the hotel "'with the clothes that would have betrayed him, "'calmly presented himself before Mueller, the night watchman, "'and contrived to be told to go for the police, "'ran down the stairs again, and took advantage of the night watchman's telephoning to the hall porter to get the ladder to open the door for him, and so marched off as easily as you please. A man who kept his nerve like that, and could make such amazing use of every circumstance, who was so quick and daring, and who was capable of carrying through such a difficult comedy in the middle of the general uproar, richly deserves to be taken for Fantomas. Juve sat in deep consideration of the whole story. That isn't what interests me most, he said at last. His escape from the hotel might have been effected by any clever thief. What I think more remarkable is the means he took to prevent the princess from screaming when he was just leaving her rooms. That really was masterly. Instead of trying to get her as far away as possible and shut her up in her bedroom, to take her with him to the very door opening onto the corridor where the faintest cry might have involved the worst possible consequences, and to be sure that the terror he had inspired would prevent her from uttering that cry, to be able to assume that the victim was so overwrought that she would make no effort at all and could do nothing, that is really very good indeed. Quite admirable psychology. Fine work. So you see there are some unusual features in the case, said Monsieur Fusilier complacently. This, for instance. Why do you suppose the fellow stayed such a long time with the princess and went through all that comedy business in the bathroom. Don't forget that she came in late, and it is extremely probable that he might have finished his job before she returned. Juve passed his hand through his hair, a characteristic trick of his when his mind was working. I can imagine only one answer to that question, Monsieur Fuselier. But you have inspected the scene of the crime. Tell me, where do you think the rascal was hidden? Oh, I can answer that definitely. The princess's suite of rooms ends in the bathroom, you know, and the chief things there are the famous bath, some cupboards, and a shower bath. The shower bath is one of those large model nurtures with lateral as well as vertical sprays, and a waterproof curtain hanging from rings at the top right down to the tub at the bottom. There were footmarks on the enamel of the tub, so it is clear that the thief hid there behind the curtain until the princess got into her bath and I suppose the shower bath is in the corner of the room near the window, Juve went on, and the window was partly open, or had been, until the maid went in to prepare her mistress's bath. It's quite interesting. The man had just succeeded in stealing the necklace from Madame van den Rosen, 
whose rooms are next to Princess Sonia's. For some reason or other, he had not been able to escape through the corridor, and so he naturally made up his mind to get into the princess's suite, which he did by the simple process of stepping over the railing on the balcony and walking in through the open window of the dressing-room. And then Nadine came in, and he had to hide? No, no, said Juve, you were getting on too fast. If that had been so, there would have been no need for all the bath business. Besides, the princess was robbed too, you know. That was not just chance. It was planned. And so if the thief hid in the shower bath, he did so on purpose to wait for the princess. But he did not want her, Fusilier retorted. Very much the reverse. If he was in the room before anybody else, all he had to do was take her pocketbook and go. Not a bit of it, said Juve. This robbery took place at the end of the month, when the princess would have big monthly bills to meet, as the thief must have known. He must have found out that she had withdrawn her portfolio and money from the custody of the hotel. But he must have been ignorant of where she had placed the portfolio, and he waited for her to ask her, and she told him. That's a pretty tall yarn, Monsieur Fusilier protested. What on earth do you base it all upon? The princess would never have shown the man the drawer where the money was taken from. Yes, she did, said Juve. Look here, this is what happened. The fellow wanted to steal this pocketbook, and did not know where it was. He hid in the shower bath and waited, either for the princess to go to bed, or take a bath, either of which would place her at his mercy. When the lady was in the bath, he appeared, threatened her until she was terrified, and then bucked her up a bit again and hit on the dodge of putting out the electric light, not out of respect for her wounded feelings, but simply in order to get a chance to search through her clothes and make sure that the pocketbook was not there. I'm convinced that if he had found it then, he would have bolted at once, but he didn't find it. So he went to the end of the next room and waited for the princess to come to him there, which is precisely what she did. He did not know where the money was, so he watched every movement of her eyes and saw them go automatically towards the drawer and stay there. Then he slipped his card into the drawer, abstracted the pocketbook, and took his leave, driving his impudence and skill to the length of making her see him to the door. Upon my word, Juve, you are a wonder, Monsieur Fusilier said admiringly. I've spent the entire day cross-examining everybody in the hotel, and came to no definite conclusion, and you, who have not seen anything or anybody connected with it, sit in that chair, and in five minutes clear up the entire mystery. What a pity you won't believe that Fantomas had a finger in this pie. What a pity you won't take up the search. Juve paid no attention to the compliments to his skill. He took out his watch and looked at the time. I must go, he said. It's quite time I was at my own work. Well, we may not have been wasting our time, Monsieur Fusilier. I admit that I had not paid much attention to the Royal Palace Hotel robbery. You have really interested me in it. I won't make any promises, but I think I shall very likely come again in a day or two for another talk with you about the case. It really interests me now, and when once I'm quit of one or two pressing jobs, I don't say I shan't ask leave to go thoroughly into it with you. End of chapter 11 Recording by Alan Winteroud BoomCoach.blogspot.com